Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to a new Redefining Technology podcast. Standing on two feet, having dexterous hands, developing a language that allows us to communicate, and the ability to understand abstract concepts. These are all part of the equation of humanity. Still, it is the capacity to create tools and advance the technology that has allowed us to thrive on this planet and maybe on others. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. John, do you feel industrial? I feel more revolution. As a matter of fact, I'm wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt right now. So uh, the podcast, you can't tell it, but I'm kind of rebel today. You're feeling, uh, you're feeling like running off the rails and, and doing some wild things? Yeah, it's still dealing with the pandemic, so not that many wild. If I'm by myself, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm going to keep it digital. I'm going to interact with people as I am interacting with you right now uh, on the other side of the United States and uh, and having conversations. So, hey, happy there to have are. technology, aren't you? We're th- thankfully, technology's here. We still have that human connection, though. Yeah, but you so. know what? I was on a customer service call the other day, and I think that the, the customer person didn't pass the Turing test. <laughs> I don't think it was that human. I was really not feeling it. Uh, I don't. I wasn't feeling the support at all. Uh, I, have, I have my own story for that, but uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll save everybody from that for now. Uh, this conversation uh, is one that I think is going to be really fun. Uh, obviously, if it's if we're talking about it, it's something we we think will be fun. And it's driven in part by a book, but the, the topic is so much bigger and it's, and it's around technology, its use in business, the human element connected to that, and, and most importantly, uh, rooted in today's conversation, empathy in action related to how we engage with our employees and how we engage with our customers. And uh, I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Nee. Dr. Natalie Petoff to uh, to join this conversation. Actually, have this conversation for us because uh, we we know enough to be dangerous. But Dr. Natalie actually wrote the book on this topic, "Empathy in Action," with her co-author. And uh, Natalie, it's fabulous to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Hey, you guys. Thanks so much. Well, let let's start with the fact that you're human. I'm pretty sure about that. So let's, uh, <laughs> you you don't know. Everybody will have to trust no, us. In this. Yeah. 
you know, we can see you. So that's, yeah, that's a good, they haven't, good. they haven't perfected the robots, robotic <laughs> part yet. So we can confirm. They're getting there, but we're, we're, uh, we're not there yet. Uh, a little bit of introduction about yourself and uh, how did you end up uh, writing this book? And then, then we'll actually ask you more questions. So, wow, I don't even know where to start. Um, <laughs> I could tell you so many stories about so many experiences as a customer and as an employee that over the years, it kind of built up. And I wanted to be able to say, you know, okay, here's my legacy piece, right? Here's, here's all the things that I've experienced that I know lots of people experience. And it really doesn't make sense anymore. And it's, I think the great resignation is kind of showing us that most people kind of feel the same way. So story one, young engineer working at a large car company. Um, my job was to test corrosion. They came to me and they said, well, you know, we do two-sided galvanizing on our doors, so they won't rust and it's expensive. So we want to go to one-sided. Could you test it and see if the doors are going to rust? And I said, they're going to rust. And they said, could you do the experiment? Like, okay, I'll do the experiment. So came back with the results, doors will rust. And they said, thank you. And I said, well, wait, before you leave the room, I'd really like to know what your decision is. And they said, oh, uh, yeah, we're going to go with one-sided galvanizing. And I go, yeah, but and at the time I lived in Michigan and Detroit where there's salt and ice and slush, right? And it's, I said, people are going to be driving around with holes in the side of their cars. Like, that's a bad thing. And um, they said, uh, yeah, well, it's cheaper to do it this way. So that's the decision. And I said, but don't you care about the brand? And they said, you're an engineer. Why do you care? And as a young, fresh out of college engineer, I'm like, oh my gosh, all the things that I thought I was learning and these ideals, <laughs> right? I thought I was going to come to corporate America and make a difference. And it came down to a uh, decision about money, not about the customer, not about the brand, not about what was really in the long run best for the company. But at the time I could see their short-termism, right? Somebody said, go cut costs. And then they figured out where we could do this. And then they used me as the vehicle, if you will, to have some results. So after hundreds of experiences like that, I really started to think when I came to work with Tony on this book about, and the question he asked me is, Nat, okay, we've talked about employee experience. We've talked about customer experience for years. Why is it so awful? And I'm going to, I'm going to lead with that because I, that wouldn't be my first guess <laughs> that it's <laughs> awful. In fact, I, I see now maybe it's because of the, the type of work I do and the things I'm looking for and looking at that. I just see a tremendous amount of investment in know your customer and, and customer efficiencies where, I mean, checkout is automated. You don't even have to break out a credit card anymore. You don't even have to put stuff through a machine. You just, you walk this, you walk the floor, you drop it in your cart, you leave and put it in your trunk. And it, that seems like that's an experience from a customer perspective anyway. That would be great. And similarly, tons of technology where you can walk around with your phone and, and I'm using the retail example again. 
you can interact with the customer and help them find the products and they can, and again, buy right there with you interacting with them. I guess my point is, it seems like we've done a lot to make experience better, but you're saying it's awful. <laughs> so what, what's, what's, uh, where's the Delta in my mind anyway? So I think you're right. It's not always awful. It's only awful if when these new things get developed that we really don't sit in the shoes of the person using it. So if you think back to like user-centered design or design thinking, right? The first step in that is empathy, sit in the seat of the user. So if when you design you know, a checkout process, say at a grocery store, if you actually go through that process and become the, the grocery shopper and have that experience and it's good <clears throat> to me, then they've done the fundamental thing that's needed, which is using empathy. So our definition of empathy is to sit in the seat of the customer or the employee and see the world through their eyes and then design that experience and the adjoining technology because you need technology to be able to, to do these things um, and make sure that it really meets the needs of that person or those that group of people. And if not, I mean, for every good experience, we could probably find another hundred that are terrible because they didn't use that empathy as their first step. Okay, so I'm gonna start from, from the end, which means- The end? <laughs> yeah. The, the end is if you Time don't care, oh, okay. if you don't care, you're gonna use technology that doesn't care. Right, you can put it in the in the algorithm or in the way that you work, and you're building the technology the way that you see the world. And this is what we're doing right now. I mean, when we talk about artificial intelligence and all of that, that's the problem. That's not created with the bias or whatever. But everybody has his own perspective. So when I made the joke about the customer service that didn't pass the Turing test, in reality, maybe it was a bad customer service to start with. So I think there is a human element that is what you're talking about, like you, you need to care. You know, there is no faking it anymore. And there is a lot of brand now that they're sticking their, you know, their flag out and say, yep, I'm not going to go with this. Maybe I'm going to lose some customer. Maybe I'm going to gain some. But in this picture, I feel like the, the technology is where we can start to tell the story on how, I don't know, do we think that technology is going to put that problem under the rug? Do we think that technology is going to make everything perfect? It's exciting, blinking lights. And I don't know, we, we mentioned the, the, the industrial revolution before we start. So I don't know where you want to start with this, but where do you think things start getting on the wrong path with technology? I think it starts from the beginning, right? Okay, so I, so too. <laughs> I, I think if we, I mean, we could go really far back in history, right? But let's just start at the first industrial revolution. So what happened there? Ford, Boeing, JP Morgan, who controlled everybody's money, which controlled everything else. Um, Chrysler, all these guys came up with these amazing inventions, right? And they, their whole thing was, I can make one now, how do I make 10? How do I make 100? How do I make 1,000, right? In their mind, their goal was efficiency at all costs, right? So if the workplace was horrible, if, if machines smushed people, if there was noxious fumes and oil and grease and we were polluting the rivers, don't even look at that, right? 
just don't go there. Don't look at that. Efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. So we have this historical zeitgeist, right? A mindset. And we take that forward into 2022 and it no longer works. However, in working on this piece, what I found was that most companies don't know what they don't know. They have no idea they inherited this business-centric efficiency mindset because it's just been part of the way we've always done things. And even if you flash forward to re-engineer the days of re-engineering or the days, you know, Mike Hammer, the whole re-engineering, the, the thing that forgot the people, poor Mike, I'm sorry, Mike. I you know you probably haven't lived that one down. Um, what I see is that companies make decisions based on what they think is best for the company. Here's what they miss. What's best for the customer and what's best for the employee in the long run is always best for the company. But if you live in short-term land, right, Wall Street investors, you're going to make decisions like the one, the story I told about the corroding doors that are going to please the business right, from this short-termism type of thought process. And so kind of the thesis and, and the legacy I want to leave, if, if there is one to leave here, is to just get people to think different. Start from the very beginning about why are you doing this, who are you serving, and what is the experience of the person who's experiencing it, right, whether it's the employee or the customer, and ask them, Right. Don't don't make assumptions, because I also see this where it seems like they're considering the end user, but they never ask them. They never ask for feedback. And I guess that's the that's an interesting point, because I'm, I'm trying to think through a few things here. If uh, well, I, guess, I don't even know where to start, but it, I guess the competition, no, right? is, competi like, competition really? is so strong. So you have to have a drive for innovation and you're going to have to make some trade-offs. You have to have a drive for efficiency or it's going to cost too much and you're not going to sell. You have to have a drive for quality if that's a, if that's a brand you want, but that may put extra pressure on the employees that makes it a difficult place to work. Uh, you might develop a machine that crushes you, your employees, <laughs> as you point out. But it makes the thing really I, 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 lo I love to hate that, that picture. Um, I guess my point is that there's always a trade-off. My question is, are businesses starting to purposefully look at those trade-offs and think, I might have to dial this back the other way in order to succeed long-term? Or is it always going to be make the quick buck um, so we can survive another day and hopefully make another quick buck tomorrow? So... It depends on your philosophy and business. Uh, it depends on, so here's one of the other things I found was that let's say you have no employees. If you have no employees, you can't create products or services. And what if you had no customers? Then you'd have nobody to buy those products or services. And yet those two assets, employees and customers are not on your P&L. Hmm, that's kind of interesting, right? The two most important assets. We have buildings, we have machines, we have all these things, right? But the things that make a business a business are customers and employees. So 
yes, there's always trade-offs, but I think what companies are starting to see and where our expectations are starting to change is there are companies who have gone the extra mile to sit in the seat of the customer and created a way to do business that really serves the customer. And I'll use Amazon for an example. So Amazon's been around a long time. And if you Google some screenshots of what Amazon's storefront used to look like when they just sold books, it's pretty archaic. It's a basic website. It's not, you know, no recommendation engines and all the kind of stuff that it has now. But what Amazon did that made them successful that most people have no idea is they created a group of customers, customer advocates, who were fanatical about what they were doing. And they asked them every single day, how is the experience? What could we do better? How's the experience? How could we do better? What's the experience? How could we do better? Flash forward many, many, many years. And with all that customer feedback, they've created a shopping experience that lots of people, especially the prime users, love. And how did that happen? It happened because the people in charge cared about that user experience. The other thing that's happening is what's called exponential technologies. So exponential technologies allow us to have greater capability at lower costs. So part of the trap that we've been in is that technology had reached a point where it was like the, if you made it better, oh, my cat wants to participate. City Kitty, do you have an opinion? Um, she, 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 she Cats loves, always have an opinion. Yes, she's, um, she's very, very passionate about the user experience. Um, <laughs> well, she's a user. <laughs> she's a user, right? So she, okay, you want to come up, say hi. Say, can you say hi to everyone? Say hi. <laughs> Meow, please. Thank you. <laughs> nice. On cue. I love it. Yes, Perfect. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so if you look at this, ex- sit down. Oh, goodness. Okay. <laughs> really, you should be doing the podcast. Um, she has some good point. Right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm, I'm all really in good, on that one. Really good point. Yeah. She's like, Mom, are you paying attention to me? This is not a good user experience for me. You need to be petting me, not talking to these guys. Okay, in all seriousness, so what's happened to technology, you think about on-prem technology before cloud, you think about before we actually started to really figure out how do we take the cloud, how do we take data in the cloud? And we, I don't know, somebody gave some statistic the other day of like 100, 100 zettabytes of data is processed. So you take all that data in the cloud, which is much more agile, add a little bit of artificial intelligence, and now we have experiences that start to mimic the kind of experiences that feel good. So I think what happened was for such a long time, technology was very limited. Now we come into this new era of exponential technologies that no longer requires companies to make that trade-off. You can now get better functionality, better capabilities, and less expensive. So that is that has been part of the limiting factor of why businesses were in that, you know, do I spend more, but then the experience is better, but does it really matter? And how many customers am I gonna win or lose in that kind of choice? This raises a question for me. I know Mark wants to jump in, but do we have, or 
do we need to manage experience to expectation or do we, or should we be resetting and defining what the experience should be? So setting the expectation. Cause I'm, I'm just thinking through some interactions I had where with, with technology clearly where the, I had an expected outcome and I achieved that. And it was clear that I was interacting with a non-human at the time. Um, so that was a good experience because I got to where I wanted to go and it was fast and efficient and pleasant. So I'm wondering if, if it's less about, well, certainly the process, but also the outcome, how, how important is that and the expectation? The outcome is everything, right? So uh, Clayton Christensen, who's the late professor at Harvard, had this saying called the job to be done. And so you want to ask yourself when you're designing an experience, or a product, what's the job to be done from the user's point of view, the customer or the employee? And I think that there are companies who will give lip service to everything we're talking about. There are companies who will try to just satisfy current expectations. And there are companies who are going to be the leading edge. So if you think about Starbucks, if you think about Tesla, if you think about Apple, if you think about um these companies, what they're doing. So let's just take Starbucks. There's lots of companies making coffee. They go into the field, they pick a coffee bean, they roast it, they put it in a bag. They're selling a product. Starbucks took the same bean and turned it into an experience, right? So instead of product innovation, making better coffee beans, they made experience orchestration. They orchestrated how you feel when you're in that store. So from everything from the atmosphere to who you go there with, why you go there to the coffee, the baristas, uh, how easy it is to pay. So they completely reinvented the business of coffee. And so I think there are some companies that are always gonna be on that because they're really, they have their ear to the ground they're really listening to customers and they're putting them creative juice into that and saying, what if, like really being curious about what if we could do this, right? And then testing that with users to see, you know, is that a nice to have or a have to have, or would that really make a difference? Okay. I like that because you're starting to make that connection that I wanted to make between the customer experience and the employee experience. And I agree with what you said, but that's still on the front, on the on what you see as a customer or what you see as a company. So I don't know how the employees are feeling when they're not the one interacting with the customer. So the one actually manufacturing the things. You know, it, like you you brought the example on Amazon. I don't know. I don't work there and <laughs> not behind the scene, but when I, I hear the news, not. I don't hear happy, many happy employees, but you know, I, as a customer, I'm happy with the outcome of it. So it's, is there using empathy, maybe um, a common thread that could actually create this utopian company where everybody is really happy. I don't think we'll ever have a company where everybody's always happy. That's yeah. Yeah. That's probably not going to never have a utopia, but we can have an ideal, right? We're always happy, Marco. Yeah. 
Because yeah, we're just, our own employees. Just ask us. <laughs> but you probably talk to each other and say, hey, don't do that. Or this is better. Or, right? You open an honest, genuine, authentic conversations. So we have the customer experience, right? And that's the external facing part of the company. So that's a great place to start. However, what we're trying to say is, if you want to be a really, 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 really great company, it's not just about the customer's experience, it's about the employees. So let's go back to the two assets. If you have no employees, then you have nobody to build the products or services and deliver them. What's happened in the great resignation is lots of people are saying, you know what? I don't wanna do this job anymore. You don't pay me well, you yell at me. This is an awful experience, see ya. So I have a friend who has a business and they need, they depend on a uh, next day delivery service. And since the pandemic and since a lot of people are leaving their jobs, they can't get their, this company cannot get their packages delivered because the delivery service, nobody wants to work there anymore, right? So, and I was just at a restaurant the other day and we were, I was waiting to get seated and people behind me were like really impatient and complaining. And I said something to the manager. I said, you know, cause I'm always doing research. Right. And I said, are you short staffed? And he's like, you have no idea. You want a job? <laughs> and he said, I know you want dinner, but do you want a job? Thank you for asking me because nobody ever sat asked. Yourself. You sat yourself. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I think that, the premise that we're trying to say is if you want to be an amazing company in the next year, two years, 10 years, five years, that experience that we're designing cannot just be for the customer. It also has to be for the employee because at some point you will have no people to deliver that great thing that you designed to the outside world. You will have no people to deliver that, right? So we need to if I was if I was going to start somewhere, I'd probably start with the employee experience. Interesting, and I'm gonna, I'm going to use this opportunity to to give you a big sandwich to chew on. What what role does technology have in making things better? What do we need to be aware of so we don't make things worse? And perhaps some of that is encapsulated in the mission uh, behind and the drive behind creating and writing this book. So I think in terms of what you'd want to consider, again, goes back to sitting in the seat of the person, right? The employee and saying, do I really give them the things that they need? So one of the things that happened um, for our company is that we provide software for people who work in contact centers. So 1-800-CALL-CUSTOMER-SERVICE, right? And during the pandemic, well, in general, those call centers or contact centers have between 20 and 2,000 people in a room. Well, guess what? You can't have all of those people during a pandemic sitting in the same room. So we put, you know, we looked at that and we said, well, there's a lot of companies that could offer this opportunity to provide customer service, but they don't know what they don't know. So what if we offer what we do for two months for free and let them try it. That way they can still run their business. They can keep their employees safe and, and they, they might want to do this. And what we found was because we were thinking about 
what their employees needed and we solved a problem for them, we helped them, which helped us. And that's the kind of thinking that I think you have to do today is to think all the way through, not just helping that company, but helping those employees in that company and changing their experience. And in this case, it was a pretty serious one, right? This is not just like, you know, I hate my laptop or my phone doesn't work, but this is, is my life, am I gonna be safe at work? Can I do my job and not get sick? Mm -hmm. So let's let's go back to the beginning, which was the end. So I'm getting confused <laughs> here. But anyway, the end was you, you have empathy means that you care. Because if you have empathy and you don't care, you're sociopath. Well, much. okay. There's a <laughs> difference between sympathy and empathy. So yeah. sympathy is, Marco, I'm so sorry that's happening to you. Sean, I, I've had that happen to me before and I completely get it. Empathy is seeing that and then taking action. Because you feel. Because you feel it yeah. and you're doing something to make it better right. from their point of view, right? right? So that that, or, or, that changes. Because I could say, you know, I'm really sorry, Marco, that's happening to you, right? And that we'd be done. But yeah. does it really and help you, yeah. right? And I could say, I'm really sorry that's happening to you. And here's the action I'm going to take. And you could go, like, since I remember when I was also a young engineer, uh, we did an employee survey and results came out terrible. Everybody hated their job, frustrated, frustrated. So guess what they did? They redesigned the interiors of the elevators and gave us a coffee cup. Perfect. Like, what? What? That doesn't address anything. Problem we solved. Problem solved. Oh, here's some money. Facilities have some extra money. We'll redecorate the, the elevators. It's like, I'm just like shaking my head going, what, what are you thinking? And yet they thought from their point of view, they were doing something good. Now, was it nice to have nicer looking elevators? I guess, but it wasn't sitting in the shoes of the employee and listening to what they wanted and then figuring out what is it that we can change that's going to make a difference to them. Yeah. So let, let's bring where I was going to go with that. And I, I thank you for clarifying this because it's a really important point, obviously. So assuming that you you care and you want your company uh, to care and you show that to your employees and to your customer and, and eventually the, the whole brand is a true brand, right? You're not faking it. You're not pretending to care about the environment and then you don't, right? So that, that kind of thing. So no uh, lip service. Yeah, here's an elevator. Stop the freaking <laughs> lip service already. Exactly. You can put it in your 10K. You can put it in your commercials. Right. It's jarring when you do that as a brand and then you don't deliver, right? And I think the company that you mentioned, Amazon, customer experience, fantastic. What we see in the news, and I don't know anyone who works in the warehouses, but what I see in the news, it's not positive, right? So... And I think that's part of what happens to some of these iconic brands is they focus on one aspect, the customer experience, but they forget about the employee experience. And our premise is you need both. 
if you really, really, really like, and I, th I don't know where the turning point is going to be, but I think COVID, COVID was an, in it's an interesting experiment because what it did is it slowed everything down. It became an inflection point to be self-reflective. And in that reflection, we, the people said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Right. So I don't know what other things will happen in history, but I think this is a tipping point of what's going to happen in companies, that it's no longer okay to treat people poorly or to provide bad employee experiences, because at some point you're not going to have any people left. So, but the, the technology... So let's bring it to that. We we talk about the industrial revolution where we have the machine, but they you know they they kill people, they they create problem, but it's all about production, production, production. Well, just paint the technology. The, just paint the elevator. Everything's good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> paint the machine. Exactly, paint the machine pink. It's all pretty, and blue. But now we have feedback. We have machine learning. We have artificial intelligence. We can analyze the data. You brought the example of the the Jeff Bezos team being on the alerts for everything that they were doing wrong. So I'm picturing that now we have this technology to collect all this information and to make things better. It's not just an automation, but it's actually a feedback loop that you're going to get out of that. So going back, but you need to care. So I think <laughs> that's how everything connects. But tell me, where do you see a company that wants to, that really do care? I mean, what, what is the technology you see now and in the future to really be helpful, considering also maybe privacy and the things that you don't want to abuse anyway? So what, do you see technology coming to the rescue? That's my point. Only if, only if empathy is involved. So technology itself can't do anything, right? It's only the people that are behind it. So we created four empathy pillars, listen, understand and predict, act and learn. So behind that is technology, right? So data is your, your listening step. Understand and predict is artificial intelligence, which takes lots and lots, big, big chunks of data and looks for gaps, comparisons, patterns to give you that feedback to say, here's what's working and here's what's not. Then the ability to take action is the technology we use, right? We inform that technology, we design it so that the experience for the employee and the customer is great. And then the last part is to learn, which is using computational analysis, which is really, really complicated machine learning to give you the correlations and the gaps so that you look at the first three steps and you determine, okay, here's what was good. Here's what would be better if, and then the most important piece of all of this and lots of companies collect data, they use AI, they look for patterns, they hire data scientists, they take some actions, but they very rarely complete the feedback loop. So one of the things there was a, a military strategist named John Boyd, and he created a process called the ODA loop. Um, there's four steps, right? Oh, it's observe, orient, decide, act, right? And so what I think a lot of companies do, and, and I had this conversation with someone else that I thought was really fascinating, was 
they think you do that once and you're done. But the truth is that's a continuous loop. Like it never stops. And when you do it and you start to get faster and faster and faster, that's where your flywheel, this kind of um, the flywheel of, of innovation, the flywheel of possibility really kicks into gear. And I think a lot of what happened with technology was that because it was on-premise, wasn't in the cloud, it wasn't very agile, it wasn't easy to make changes. So everything was really slow. So an implementation of, let's say, technology in a contact center could take two to five years, right? Now it takes three months to do the same thing. So we had this mindset about how long it would take to do that OTA loop, and it was five years. So by the time you did it once, you were like, yay, we're done, we did it. But now we're in the cloud and making changes and going through that loop is very, very, very quick. And that's the cool thing about exponential technologies is because it's allowed us to have this agility, flexibility and speed at lower costs than any other time in history. Like this is historic. This is a historic moment in time where technology itself has transformed to the point where it can really now be our partner. Yeah. And then to Marco's point, um, and I'll use what you just described. If, if all you're doing is automating and accelerating and, and expanding crap, <laughs> get more crap. You, you're going to, you're going to just take things even deeper and further from perhaps where you really want to take things. I don't know. So as, as we get close to wrapping here, what, I'm hoping maybe you can share an example or a use case where a company took a moment to pause, think about what they care about, think about their employees and their customers, understand the role of technology as they're working through this. Maybe a, a use case where you don't have to name the company, but a use case where somebody got it right from your perspective. So, one of the things that we saw was during the pandemic, a lot of companies had to make a lot of quick decisions. Some companies made it, some companies didn't. Um, we had one company that in the UK that um, was receiving phone calls um, because people just needed to talk to somebody, right? And normally they wouldn't even take those calls because you know they're like, well, we're being efficient and effective, right? So we don't have time to talk to you. So what the leader decided was our job is to be of service to the community. So just changing that mindset made a really big difference. And then they started to really look at how do we help our customers get what they need? So completely transforming the online experience of, and in this, this particular company um, was, in the business of arranging funerals. So you can imagine that's a really difficult time. Um, and what they did was for their employees, they, a lot of the employees have worked in these big rooms. They provided technology so people could work from home. And then they used um, bots, artificial intelligent chatbots that could start to look at who is that person that's calling where have they been on our website? What have they been trying to do? So by the time 
that person got transferred either to a bot or to a human being, that bot was intelligent and could process the information that it received. So it could say, hey, Sean, I see that you have this in your shopping cart, or this is the thing that you're trying to, the question that you're trying to ask, is that correct? Yes. So one, it identified it was you, it identified what you were up to, and it was had a pretty good prediction rate about what you were asking a question about. And then it could give you very smart, intelligent answers. And if you still wanted to talk to a human, all that information that was gathered in that process, so this is the listen, which is data, understand and predict, which is the combining, enriching the data with AI. Now we're taking that and we're passing that on to an intelligent bot that can now process that and give a good answer. And even when it gets transferred to a human being, an agent, that historical, all that information that happened in that customer experience is now transferred to the agent. So the agent doesn't have to say, hi, how can I help you? What's your name? What's your phone number? Right? So it's immediately, Sean, I got you. I got what, you know, I got everything that you're trying to do. Here's your next step. Right? So you feel seen, you feel heard, you're going to get what you need. And then that person on the phone can say, okay, what else do you need? How else can I help you? So it's that kind of being able to use the technology in service of the employee, right? So that they can really help you. So think about the cognitive burden for someone listening to people's sad stories, right? That whole front end, the first 20 minutes of almost every single phone call. If all that information is collected and passed on to the agent, the agent can be right on the ready to solve the problem and ask you, what else do you need? And the experience for the customer is I called, I needed something to happen. I'm kind of in a panic. I'm upset. I I need to get this handled. So from, from both the employee and the customer, it was a much, much better, was a step in the right direction. Yeah. And I, uh, I thank you for that example, because that kind of goes to one of the earlier questions I had around expectation, right? So it, it wasn't just about being more efficient, which is important, but it's about getting to the outcome in an effective, meaningful way. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that example, even, even though it may not be one, uh, a business that many people want to engage with. <laughs> it's right. one that sometimes we have to, unfortunately. So with that, I think, um, yeah, I think we covered a lot here in, in the time that we have. Um, I'm sure there's a ton more we could cover. The book is Empathy in Action. Uh, I think as we've talked about today, if you don't start with empathy, it's very unlikely you're going to carry that through anything you do, regardless of how much technology you put in place. And if you're looking for the technology to bring the empathy, that's probably not the uh, the, the best option either, I would say. So, Natalie, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks uh, for your insight and and your examples and your stories. Um, I'm going to go be industrial now. Stick my hand in a machine somewhere. (laughs) Please don't. Please, please, please don't. You did really good. I'm going to send you a candy. So you feel good about yourself. Nice. That's the outcome I like, candy. (laughs) Uh, That was great. I guess uh, this is it. Notes. Reference. 
a link, a link to the, to the book. book. I'll, I'll be sure to look up the uh, the OODA, OODA loop link. We'll the hula that. hoop. The hula hoop. That too. And uh, any other uh, resources that uh, are are relevant for this conversation. Again, thank you, Natalie, uh, and thanks everybody for listening to this redefining technology episode on ITSP Magazine. Thanks for making it a great experience. We're human. <laughs> we are human, are. actually. With a lot of empathy. <laughs> Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Technology Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.